You're listening to Orange Blaze, a Florida Trail podcast. I, I would sell that. I don't think there's any other trail you're going to see as much wildlife or um, as many uh, cool flowers on. I mean, just when I'm out at Kissimmee Prairie, I will scan the horizon and there's a dozen deer. There's a coyote over there. Give it a little bit. We'll see a burrowing owl. Just just this, the diversity. And it, it's it's more it's less about the destination of where you're hiking to and more about the hike itself. And it, it, it's one of those like you just need to pick up a book, start looking through, find a couple cool flowers and be like, hey, my, I'm going to try to find some of these while I'm out. And uh, I don't know. I hope that sells them on it. <laughs> That was Keith Curry-Pochi, a Florida Trail day hiker, naturalist, and outdoor enthusiast residing in Gainesville, Florida. And I'm your host, Misty Ridley-Little. This episode deviates a bit from recent episodes focusing on thru-hikers to talk about life as a day hiker and weekend enthusiast of not only the Florida Trail, but the many other trails throughout the state of Florida. Keith is a science educator, as well as a photographer, naturalist, hiker, and outdoor enthusiast who treks through the varying terrains of Florida, from tropical hardwood hammocks to the rolling contours of the Suwannee River floodplain. If you follow Keith on Instagram, you'll be guaranteed to pick up some useful knowledge on the flora and fauna in the state. You'll hear his passion for the natural biodiversity Florida has to offer come through in the episode, as well as his love of Kissimmee Prairie Preserve State Park, a gem of a state park in central Florida, where the Florida Trail has recently been rerouted to traverse. The state park is on my list of favorite places in the state, and I sense a recurring theme among other hikers, so I'm already brainstorming a potential future episode highlighting the state park and how it relates to the Florida Trail. Show notes for the episode can be found at orangeblaze.thegardenpathpodcast.com, where you'll find links to the books Keith mentions, as well as links to where to find him online. I already have September's episode planned, but I'm open for guest ideas for the rest of the year, so if you're interested or want to recommend someone, DM me on Instagram at orangeblazepodcast, or send me an email at orangeblazepodcast at gmail.com. We are up to 15 five-star ratings over on iTunes, and I'd love to see that at 20. So if you haven't had a chance to leave a five-star rating and maybe even a review, hop on over and do so. It will be much appreciated. All right, on to the episode. We're flexible. That worked out perfectly. Yeah, we're, we're doing the zoo tomorrow with my mom. So today we're she took him and was like, I need to finish everything I have to do in a normal weekend in one day. So, <laughs> um, are they from, I guess they're from in town too. Uh, they recently moved here. Um, I grew up in Merritt Island and, and they, they now live in, uh, Rockledge, Florida. Oh, okay. Okay. So Perfect. And my dad's retiring soon. So they decided to move where their grandkids are going to be. So. All right. Well, I guess we could start from there. I mean, so you're from Merritt Island, so you're a Floridian uh, by by birth, which is, you know, kind of rare a lot these well, days. So no, I, I we moved to Florida when I was five or six. Oh, um, OK. I don't remember exactly. But I was born in California. My parents grew up in California. Uh, and then my dad um, worked for the government. So we just moved around for a lot. And then my mom had enough of the moving. So we um, he got a job at Kennedy Space Center. And so we ended up there. And so I grew up on uh, North Merritt Island, which is kind of the more rural side of, of uh, Merritt Island. We have the, the wildlife refuge there and everything. So that was um, a lot of fond memories of being out on the water and, and watching rockets. And uh, there's a nice kind of weird mix of rural, but you had like this big technology uh, happening just down the street. Yeah. Now, I remember the last time I was in that area, it seemed like 
I guess because the space program had kind of gone downhill, it seemed like there's a depressed economy. Is that still the case or is it kind of picked back up? It, it's picked up a little bit. Um, Titusville, which probably what you probably remember. Yeah. Um, that area right after, um, um, after Apollo, it got really depressed. And then when I was there during the, the spatial days, it never really picked back up. And I remember um, at one point I was part of their Christmas parade, which went from one empty mall to a mall that only had a hot dog stand in the middle. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, all right. So yeah, you were by the National Wildlife Refuge. Do you have, what are your like Florida outdoor memories? Were your parents outdoorsy people or how did you... How did that so happen? My, my parents are outdoorsy and they always, um, they grew up doing outdoorsy things. And then I, I'm one of my earliest memories um, was actually a camp out we did. And I think it might've been at Dinosaur National Monument. Um, I remember going there during this said trip. I don't know if we camped there, um, but we've always done outdoorsy things. And my parents, we, um, we'd always go somewhere and do bike trails and we do a little bit of, they weren't huge on into hiking. Um, but I think that's because of the, the Florida-ness. They grew up in California where you went to mountains. And so here and having all the, the heat, the humidity and the, uh, the swamp, they, they, they liked it, but they're not, they weren't as super enthusiastic about it, but I kind of, I don't gravitated towards it. And I remember growing up, um, I got, had a kayak and, and living uh, by the refuge. I always went out and went kayaking through the mangrove swamp yeah. and out into the the grass flats and I always really enjoyed that. And um, and then when we moved to Sarasota, I kind of stayed coastal for a while. And then now that, and then now we're living in Gainesville and I've kind of had to switch my focus to be more inland Florida because this is the furthest inland I've lived since I was a wee lad. <laughs> I was wondering if your parents were into paddling too or was that something you kind of got into by yourself? Um, so growing up there, a lot of our family friends, um, were into boating. We had a lot of friends with boats. And so we ended up spending a lot of time out in the water. And my parents, um, perhaps was the smart thing, didn't want to invest in getting a boat, but I wanted to be out in the water. So uh, I saved up money mowing lawns and got a kayak. And um, then my dad reluctantly, kind of reluctantly got a kayak too, since he had to go with me. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we would just go out and, and, paddle around the lagoon and there's a lot of, I mean, the lagoon for, for people who are familiar is very shallow. The, na the deepest natural point is five feet. Mm -hmm. um, you can be out there and you don't have to worry about boats and stuff. And you still see manatees and the occasional alligator. There's, especially the refuge just has a ton of wildlife. So yeah, um, I think my dad enjoyed it. Now, have you, uh, the lagoon, because we lived in Melbourne for about two and a half years. And so we kind of got to explore the lagoon there as well. Um, and I know in the last, what, five or six years, they've experienced a really bad, like decline in habitat with, um, I'm just with pollution and such. Can mm -hmm. you, can you tell from like your childhood to now, like, have, have you seen that environmental destruction? Yes. Um, there is one spot I would, I could ride my bike out and, um, there's this little spot I, we could go and we'd wait out and, um, it being a very shallow, you'd wait out 200 yards and I'd be fishing and, um, and there was just this lush grass that covered the bottom and you'd go out and you'd be knee deep in the grass um, in about three feet of water. And now that grass is all gone. 
and the water it's sometimes clear sometimes murky but it's it's definitely noticeable it's less noticeable when you go into the refuge into the more rural areas but um it's definitely something that it's it's really heartbreaking to see especially because um to go back home we go over the causeways that the, the mm-hmm. you just look out and and it used to be clear and, and you could see the dark areas of grass and it's just all brown now mm. what is uh has dep issued any is there actually are they working actually towards restoring that at all or is it just kind of we're trying but it's kind of fruitless um they're working towards it. the the county um actually the voters passed to raise their own taxes to fund um restoration efforts and, oh, okay. and a lot of it is uh there's the fertilizer ban there's a lot of watershed um i used to work for brevard zoo and even before this came um we were already restoring a lot of the oyster reefs and yeah. um mangrove shorelines and um i'm hopeful i'd like to be hopeful um but a lot of it is it being a lagoon, it doesn't have any inflow of water from any major river. So it's just, you're gonna have to make these changes and be like, it might take 10 years before we, we start to see the improvements we want. Right, right. Yeah, we have, I don't know, sporadic oysters and seagrasses. There's probably more oyster beds here in Galveston Bay and the Northern part of the Texas Gulf uh, coast, but seagrasses have pretty much been wiped out. There's a few pockets here and there, but it's definitely not Florida extensive. Mm-hmm. You go if you go further south. There's uh, Quartz Corpus, South Padre, Laguna Madre. There's a lot more, but I've I've never seen, <laughs> been able to enjoy that, and uh, just seeing what happened to Florida has been has been really heart heartbreaking. So, you work for the Brevard Zoo. That was kind of cool. How did you get into that? So that was I, I started working for them in high school, and uh, my now wife uh, she volunteered there um, since middle school, I think. And so she kind of hooked me up with a job with the education department and um, zoo, um, the Brevard Zoo has um, a very large focus on local conservation. Um, So they did a lot of scrub jay work um, and a lot of lagoon work um, because those are kind of the two big things in Brevard. And so I spent a lot of time teaching people who came to the zoo about the Indian River uh, Lagoon and so to do that, I had to learn a lot more about it than I had just from my, my normal, like I can identify the, the major sport fish and bycatches. And so I had to learn a lot more of that. And I was just kind of, and that kind of, I think was what led me to my appreciation of, of natural Florida is I had to learn all these little things that are there. And I started to realize like, wow, there's a lot of stuff here. And, and once you learn that you can go out and I can, I was, would spend, quite a bit of time just in a little patch of seagrass finding all the, and once you know the mom trying to find all the little benthic organisms and, and spider crabs and all the cool little shrimp. So yeah, you did that in high school. Is that, I guess that's what kind of propelled you to, I mean, what, what did you study in college? I got my degree in elementary education. Um, Cause oh. I really liked the, I really enjoyed working for the zoo. Um, and honestly, I wouldn't have mind staying there, but I, to continue, I was like, well, a lot of, I can pick up a lot of the the natural stuff I need to to learn um, within the within the um, organization, but the teaching side is something I wanted to to know because a big thing um, with the zoo it was and um, and something that I've now used working for the Florida Museum of Natural History is if you're doing these educational programs you need to be able to connect it to the standards otherwise teachers aren't going to have too much interest in it because there's so much pressure put on them to meet these standards right. Um, 
And so I went and did the um, education degree. I taught in a classroom for a few years and, and I liked it, but um, I really like being outside and um, the, the teaching environment is very restrictive to what you can do. And, and I found I liked a lot more of the informal science education. Yeah, that's, that's like what I hear from every single teacher that I know, <laughs> like, especially people who have, you know, my degree is marine biology, but a lot of those same people have gone into teaching because in marine biology, you kind of really have to have a higher degree to get mm -hmm. anywhere in that. And so a lot of them have gone to teaching and that's what I hear time and time again. And several of them have left teaching now because they've gone to, well, I can do something similar to what you're doing, doing environmental education in, in a nonprofits kind of status. Um, but yeah. yeah but I, I, I always say I really enjoy the teaching. It's the being a teacher that yeah. is, was an issue. Yeah. And that, that's just, frankly, a, a sad state to be in. And I don't, I don't know what's going to change. What's going to change for that to that could, be, that could be a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So you, and then you went to, did you go to, um, oh my gosh, university of Florida? Um, so I went to, um, USF university of South Florida, okay. uh, Sarasota Manatee. My, um, my wife went to new college of Florida and, um, she's brilliant and amazing and she's getting a PhD right now. And so she had the scholarships to cover most living expenses. And so financially, um, it was the best option. Okay. Um, and was a little kind of selfish on my part for wanting to go out there with her. So I went to Sarasota and, and um, enjoyed the, the West coast and the Gulf coast of Florida for a little bit. And, um, and that's, uh, that was, I really enjoyed that. Um, Sarasota, despite being kind of this big urban sprawl, we were able to do the beach pretty quick. And then in 30 minutes you can be in, in rural inland Florida. So that was, that was a nice experience. Yeah. My, I haven't been explored too much of Sarasota. We usually just went over to go to the Selby Botanic Gardens, but yeah, like you said, it's like, the beach is right there. It is a lot of sprawl, but you don't have to go very far than you're like Mayaka or mm -hmm. any of these other inland places. And I mean, maybe, maybe you can talk a little bit about the difference between East coast and West coast of Florida. Cause I don't know if people might not even really understand. It is a little different. Yes. Um, and I, I think some of those big differences come from, um, at least inland wise, because the, um, for me, where I grew up, we had the St. John's river right next to us which is less of a river where I am and more of just a series of lakes that mm -hmm. connect. Um, so there seem to be just a lot more wetlands yeah. um, out there. And and it's kind of what I always enjoyed is um, we'd have to go out to Orlando every now and then as a kid. And I liked going over and just seeing like this big sprawl there. I mean, it looks like a highwayman, uh, highwayman painting. Yeah. You have the huge storm clouds building up and you have the, the sporadic clumps of, of sable palms and, and, reflecting over the, the slow moving water and um, and then going over to to um, the Gulf for one the ocean's just a lot calmer it's just a big lake yeah <laughs> and and inland wise there there at least in where I was um, the rivers weren't quite as as they didn't have the, as big a watersheds and so there's the Mayaka River um, so it had kind of its little hammocks around the, the, the river and then you go out and you would be on the, the dry prairie with uh some islands of, of pine trees and i really i really enjoyed the the dry prairie um and out there it had recently been restored so they're still waiting for for some of the um 
prairie animals to return like the burrowing owls, but it was still, it was still really nice. Love the flowers. Right. Well, I guess maybe we could talk a little bit about that, your favorite Florida landscapes, because I think you recently wrote about feeling homesick for other landscapes when you're in another landscape of Florida, like you're there and, and you love it so much, but then you kind of miss the other parts. And I could totally relate to that. Um, but maybe talk about some of your favorite landscapes and just how diverse Florida is. And it doesn't seem like it seems flat. You know, people see it and they're like, ah, eh, nothing here, but it's crazy. Well, yeah, that's what I think because we're so flat, we get this diversity because it's just, a, I mean, a couple inches of elevation and there can be completely different plants and animals that couldn't survive in the other elevation. My personal favorite and the one that I try to go to every year is Kissimmee Prairie. It's very flat as you'd expect from Florida, but you don't, I don't think a lot of people expect like the, the you can see almost to the horizon with just like little hammocks of, of live oak and, and uh, palm trees. And I love going there because especially during the summer, you, you see the, the storm clouds build and it's like a, it looks like a little explosion in slow motion. And I really enjoy watching that spectacle. And then um, the, the sky there is, is since it's so rural, um, you get a nice clear view of the Milky Way, which is another thing people don't expect in Florida for some reason. Um, and so I always like, cause, because it's so open there, um, I'll sometimes just stay up all night and you watch the Milky Way just kind of rise and then set. Uh, and then I think the other thing, and this might just be the nostalgia, but it is an amazing landscape, is around the St. John's, um, you go from from the pine flatwoods into the, the very jungle-like um, hammocks where if, the, if there's not a trail going through there, I don't know how anyone would, would transverse. <laughs> every, the palm trees all are very similar. Every, there's the occasional red cedar or or live oak, but it's 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 very much, it feels like a, an actual jungle that you would find in, in South America. And then I like going through that and then you kind of, it opens up to the floodplain. And this might just be my thing for wide open spaces, but again, like the, just being able to see the clouds form and, and all the different animals you see going from uplands down to down to the lowlands. Yeah. I guess those two are kind of the two that I always find myself going back to if I, if I have a little bit of time off. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the clouds and the open spaces. Because um, when I worked for the tribe, we would have these big events where we're all together in airboats or swamp buggies and going through the water conservation area 3a and a lot of that is open and on the north end in the spring it's pretty dry so that's we're taking swamp back buggies through that and i remember you know taking these buggies through and it's open you see these different tree islands and these giant blue cloud or <laughs> blue clouds <laughs> giant white clouds in the blue sky and it makes me think about like an African safari in a way. It's just, it has another world effect sometimes. And then mm -hmm. you snap back and you're like, okay, there's no jungle animals here, but <laughs> maybe a panther, but um, but I could totally understand your, your big open spaces uh, desire. Is there any landscape you haven't been to in Florida that you want to get to? Uh, there's ones that I want to spend more time in. Um, I definitely want to do more of seepage bogs in the panhandle. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've done a couple visits to them and, and tromping around and, and seeing all the carnivorous plants there. Um, and I think lower keys, it's just, kind of, I don't know, those are happen to be also the two that are just furthest away from us. Yeah. So they're the biggest struggle, but um, the lower keys would be nice. Um, again, just kind of when you get to the, the open shallow water, um, 
that's something that those are kind of the two that I can just think of off the top of my head that I, I really wish I spent more time in when, when I was down there. Yeah. I, I, I find myself forgetting that I'm not like two hours from the keys because we were two hours from yeah. the keys all the time. And I'd be like, I can hop in and go down there this weekend. And I am like, I'm two hours from Galveston, which is a completely different <laughs> situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, the lower keys are pretty cool. And I wish I spent more time in there than I had. Yeah, so. and it's, it's amazing the difference between the upper keys and the lower keys. A lot of people just refer to it as keys, but the upper keys, there's there's the, at least I know I've spent a lot more time there doing field work and stuff, um, but there's the tropical hardwood hammocks. Then you get mm -hmm. down to lower keys and then you have some a little bit of pine rocklands, but then you just have the open uh, like mangrove flats. Yeah. Well, can you talk about that field work a little bit? Because then you were doing stuff with endangered butterflies, right? So, uh, yeah, so I, I currently work for the Florida Museum, and part of the Florida Museum is the McGuire Center, which is the world's largest center for the study of Lepidoptera, which is the order for uh, butterflies and moths. And um, uh, the people there realized that I go hiking in the summer in Florida, and they're like, oh, you'd be perfect to go count some butterflies. <laughs> um, and so uh, we, uh, so I go down and help with the surveying of the uh, Shouse swallowtail, which is a, a federally listed species. Um, a recent book by a prominent lepidopterist, he um, said it was the rarest butterfly in the world. Mm. Um, because right now, um, it's doing better than it was a few years ago. Um, 2012, I want to say, they were they only were able to find um, four in oh. their surveys. Um, and so it was. It's, it's about as close as you can get to extinction for a species, and they have a, a captive uh, rearing program. But I go down there um, and I and I walk what's called a spite highway, and it's this down on Elliott Key in Biscayne National Park, and we go down it. And uh, whenever we see a butterfly uh, or a, a trout swallowtail, we we catch it, we tag it, and we um, try to get some data and trying to figure out why why. There's, there's not a great explanation as to why they they fluctuate so much, um, but habitat loss is kind of their big, why they're endangered right now, because they prefer the upland habitats of South Florida, and those, of course, were developed first. Right. So I have a couple of things to go there. I had actually just recently read about the Spite Highway, and I can't believe I didn't know about it, and I couldn't believe that. Do you want uh you may know, do you know the history about it or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the, um, they were going to develop it and then, um, cause as they were most of South Florida and they wanted to even build a bridge across, uh, basically across Biscayne Bay to, to it. But, um, the whole story is that a developer out of spite, um, when they made it a national monument cleared a six lane highway down the middle <laughs> and it's kind of funny in retrospect because that's now the only way we're able to to effectively survey the Shouse population is because there's like there's now just um, what's left of the highway um, and it's now it's a hiking trail. I don't know many people who who hike it for for fun because of the mosquito. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have we can't leave any skin exposed or else you'll just be covered in mosquitoes. Um, but we can now it's now wide enough to drive a little side by side down um, that we'll use for the survey <laughs> or we just walk because. Right. Um, taking it side by side out and leaving it on an island surrounded by salt water um, hasn't been great for, for yeah. running all the time. Right. <laughs> um, and now I was going to say, you said that was 
considered one of the rarest butterflies. Is the Miami blue considered extinct yet? Or is that, I figured it was pretty rare as well. So the Miami blue is pretty rare, um, but its numbers are, are quite a bit higher. Okay, um, okay. The, so the Shouse only has one generation a year. So it's really hard to get accurate population uh, surveys because uh, being a swallowtail, they can stay in their um, pupa for up to two years at least. Oh, wow. Um, and so if we have a drought, they might not just emerge. So it's hard to say, are the ones we're seeing the only ones left or are they, is it because it's dry or maybe they're not coming out? It's hard, it's hard to say. The Miami blue is now only found on Marquesos and Boca Grand Key. Mm. Um, and they're currently trying to reintroduce it to Long Key. Okay. Um, the past reintroduction efforts have failed, and um, I don't think they're expecting them to work this time. Um, but this time, uh, they um, uh, they have Sarah. She's the field tech down there, and she's carefully monitoring it to try to at least figure out why it's going wrong. Okay. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's such a hard environment. I mean, we're dealing with hurricanes and well, and development and all these different things. There's, well, I don't know. It's the development because what we've, what they've found is the Shouse is, um, and that habitat, you almost have to think of it as a, a hurricane dependent species in a way, um, because it relies on plants that grow in the understory of the, the tropical hardwood hammocks there. Okay. And like with most of Florida, it's a destructive force that usually maintains a habitat, whether it be fire um, in the uplands or flood in the lowlands. Um, in this particular habitat, it seems to be the occasional hurricane. Um, it comes through, it clears out the canopy um, and the torchwood, which is um, it's in the citrus family, and that's what the Shouse host on. Um, they seem to have better growth right after hurricanes, and the Shouse numbers seem to do a little bit better right after hurricanes. All so right. It's, it's an interesting, I mean, because those species have been dealing with hurricanes much longer than we have, and they've they've adapted to them. But now that we've put these extra pressures on them, it kind of seems to be their, their undoing. Right, right. Well, since we're talking wildlife, I mean, that was a kind of work encounter. Um, what have you kind of cool wildlife have you encountered personally while on your Florida explorations? Um, I think the kind of one of the more memorable ones is, um, so in... Um, to bring this all back to the Florida Trail. In Boy Scouts, um, we often camped at Tosahatchee, um, mm -hmm. and the Florida Trail runs through there, and we did a lot of day hikes. And um, That's actually where I did all, uh, a lot of my first backpacking trips. I remember on one of them, um, we found uh, what we decided could be their very large bobcat, or maybe even a panther, and I just remember thinking that was really cool. And then, unfortunately, later on, we found that a, a panther had actually been hit on the road near there. Mm. And so we were kind of, and it had rained the night before, so we were kind of in the same area of a panther outside of uh, South Florida. And um, and being that it was a small male, it actually kind of was like, oh, that might have, it might have actually been it. Now, like, I, I don't want to say for sure, because I know that would be so rare, but. Right. And then the occasional black bear is always cool going through Ocala. Every now and then you find tracks or you'd see one just kind of lumber off into the brush. Yeah. I've also seen you do a lot with uh, the scrub jays too. They're pretty cool. Yeah, um, the, the scrub jays, certain populations um, you can go to and they will come and land on you. Some of that is from uh, um, when we moved, when the zoo moved the scrub jays, um, they become somewhat um, acclimated to people. 
and and even even the scrub jays that I've seen like uh, along the lake whales, which that there are not quite as acclimated, they're they're a very curious bird, and so they'll definitely if you're walking through their habitat, they'll come over and they'll they'll check you out. And the ones on the around Sarasota, the ones in Brevard, and some of the ones up uh, near Deltona will just freely come and land on you. And uh, they usually leave pretty soon when they find out that I'm not one of the people who feeds them. But uh, <laughs> it's a right. cool experience. Yeah. No, the ones that I I experienced around Jupiter and uh, North Palm Beach area, they were also quite friendly. So yeah. <laughs> you mentioned the pitcher plants earlier. Do you have any other favorite plants you found while hiking? Um, my absolute favorite flower is the pine lily. Um, oh, yeah. A, um, a red lily found in the flatwoods um, uh, and uh, dry prairies. Um, it needs kind of wet acidic soil and it, it's fire dependent. Um, so um, generally, if you find those, you know you're in what's fairly pristine habitat. And um, that's when I, I remember the first one I ever found is I was um, um, backpacking through Mayaka, just on my own. Um, that was that was the one nice thing about Sarasota is Mayaka has a, a great backpacking loop. And I would just every now and then go out and do the loop on my own. Um, and I remember I found it and it was just nice because I just sat and took a few pictures of it and enjoyed it and I've found a, a few others. Um, Kissimmee Prairie has a ton of them and then uh, Tosahatchee and uh, a couple of the spots has it and I always try to find that. And then I also, I really like trees. Um, I've named now both of my sons after yeah. trees. <laughs> um, Cypress and Sable. Cypress trees I've just always been in awe of because they are very much just like, no, this is swamp. They're cypress trees. They're, they're very picturesque. They're the, the huge buttresses that are on them. Um, and then palm trees uh, coming, like when I came to Florida, I remember just palm trees were just like, oh no, this is Florida, there's palm trees. This, these are really cool. And just the more I learned about palm trees, about how long they can live, they don't really have um, a growth rings, so you can't really tell, but our best guess is they can live hundreds and hundreds of years. And uh, and I don't know, they, they, they grow in almost any habitat that isn't completely underwater, they, they seem they can, they can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen some palm trees in some weird places. You're like, okay, well, you're yeah. a tough plant. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Maybe we can switch to the Florida trail a little bit. So you're hiking a lot in Tossahatchee. Is that your first encounter with the Florida trail? Probably. I, with Boy Scouts, um, being that we were in, um, based in Merritt Island, that a lot of our camping trips took place along along the St. John's there. And there's a lot of um, protected land there. And we did just, we would just kind of make little, we'd get our map out, we'd find, make a little loop, find how we can make a loop and we go hike that. And um, I'm sure that was the first time I encountered the Florida trail. Cause that's one of the big trails that goes through Tosahatchee. Mm -hmm. um, and then later on in Boy Scouts, as we got older, uh, we got more into backpacking and that was, and we wanted to do the uh, 50 mile patch. Um, and so we we chose the Florida Trail right there for it. Um, that area is, is especially for us being uh, like between the ages of, of 13 to 15. That was a good starting point for us. Um, none of our parents were were really that into backpacking. Um, and actually, one of the dads uh, for the parents he brought he had a small little trailer and he would just meet us at at campsites. Okay, um, and he would just. <laughs> So the parents could have nice cots and stuff because because being boy scouts you have to have a certain number of adults with you and so yeah adults would be with us but they weren't backpacking they were just 
going along. Yeah. Um, and that was probably good because there's in that area, there's a lot of stops. There's there's the gas station in Christmas. And um, I really enjoyed going through Tosahatchee again. It's that jungle, jungle feel. Yes. Um, yeah. And then later on, right at, uh, out of high school, um, my wife's friend really wanted to uh, backpack the AT. And she had zero backpacking experience. It was like, I think I'm going to go do this next week. Um, <laughs> so, so we convinced her for my friend and I, who are both Eagle Scouts, we're like, hey, we'll take you going. Um, we'll take you on, on just a simple two-night. We'll do 30 miles. And then you can decide if this is something that you can go do like this year. Right. <laughs> it was July, and we chose the Ocala section. Oh, God. <laughs> um and and that's where my tolerance to heat really really was built um i've always and i mean i've always been outdoors in summer and, and haven't let that bother me but this this was something else um inland florida the coast you get a sea breeze it net i mean it gets hot but it's not like unbearably hot um going through juniper prairie in the summer hmm. where it's a scrub habitat so there's scrub just high enough to keep any breeze from getting to you um, the sand, it's the white sand that you think of at beaches is really, really awful when it's giving you almost snow blindness as, yeah. you're, as you're hiking. And, and that was pretty brutal. The, the saving grace was that Ocala has a lot of springs in it. And so I remember we, we got to uh, uh, Juniper Springs and um, they let us in for free. And they're like, no, you guys need to go cool down because we were, we were in bad shape. Other than that, everything I've done is... is uh, been day hiking. I've done a couple small backpacking trips, Hidden Pond, and again in Ocala when it was a little bit cooler, and um, some other trails that are maintained by the uh, Florida Trail Association and, st and state parks. Um, haven't haven't done haven't done any any long section hikes. Well, okay. Well, before we go off on that, I did want to ask: Did your friend go to the AT or not? Uh, so she ended up going. I think a year later. Um, and then she did the northern section down. Uh, she got, I think, into Pennsylvania and decided that it was getting, it wasn't for her. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, it was a good training run, at least. Yes. And, and, that, and that's what we were like, hey, let's just go through this. You'll, you'll at least figure out, like, what you clearly don't need. Right, right. Um, yeah, so to transition to what you were talking about, not necessarily hiking super long distances on the Florida trail. I think you're probably, you capture what the Florida trail hiker really primarily is. And it's a day hiker or a weekend use person. So, I mean, from that perspective, I guess, how, how, what do you think about the Florida trail as, as someone in that perspective? And uh, what were you frequently going? I, I really enjoy it as, as a, as a uh, day hiking destination. There's, there's a lot of trailheads. Um, and it takes you through a lot of um, some of the most beautiful parts of Florida. Um, the part I do the most often is the Swanee um, with Madeline. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Swanee is great because a lot of it follows uh, directly along the river, and especially uh, early summer, late spring when the water levels are really low, um, and the, the water color is a beautiful red and, and there's the limestone bluffs and you can find all sorts of little fossils just walking along the, the river. And, and then I also, I still go down to Ocala a lot. 
And then um, Kissimmee Prairie, whenever I'm there, I do. I've been doing this this little loop for a while, and it wasn't always part of the Florida Trail, but now it is. So now I can consider that my day hiking <laughs> on the Florida Trail. Um, I'm so glad that the Florida Trail now goes through Kissimmee Prairie. Um, when I started going to Kissimmee Prairie years and years ago, um, and I knew the trail was on the other side of the river, I was like, this is so much better. And Because the other side, there's the bombing range, and, and um, it's not the most friendly, but at least on this side, you have uh, the state park and the ranger station right there. And I know they put a few pumps in um, along the trail. But that area, again, just beautiful. I'm really glad it's through there. And, and so whenever I'm there, I, I hike a, a good part of that as much as I can now that I have kids. Yeah, right. Yeah, so how far is the Suwannee from Gainesville? Uh, it's the closest parts for me are under an hour. Um, so it's not it's not a bad drive out and drive back in a half day. Um, no, no. Especially the, the drive out there. Uh, I usually get out there early. We try to get there around sunrise and then my son just falls asleep. And so the drive back snow, I don't right. know. I can listen to podcasts <laughs> instead of listening yeah. to music. <laughs> right, right. No, I, I wish that was in my backyard. And I was, I'm definitely jealous because every time Madeline posts, I'm just like, oh, I wish I could just walk out my back door and be walking oh, yeah. along yeah. the Georgia River. You can do that. That's some. Um, um, I'm I'm glad Gainesville has has ample opportunities for outdoors, but that's really being right along there on the Swanee is, is something I'm I'm a little jealous of. Yeah, and on the Kissimmee Prairie part, because the Florida Trail is now through there, and I just feel like social media has also amplified it a lot. Is it more crowded or busy? So it, it is more crowded. Um, I actually, I know the park manager there, Alex, um, and he said they, they've had a huge jump in visitation since they became a dark sky park. Mm, okay. However, people are going there for the stars. You get a mile down the trail and you won't see another soul. Okay. Um, everyone's around the, the main campground. People stick to the road, which the road is actually one of the, the, the drive in there along the park road is, is very, is one of the more, more beautiful parts of it. Yeah. But, yeah, one, once you, I mean, there's, they have a nice primitive campsite there. Um, and every time I've done the hike out to that, the only people I've ever seen are rangers or people going out there to do the surveys for the grasshopper sparrows. And yeah, it seems the people who are going out there are not the people who are going to brave the prairie. Okay. Yeah, because I, I just remember you could go pretty much maybe in the winter, the campground would get full, but even then sometimes it wasn't full yeah. and now it just seems i get that vibe that it's like a hot spot and and, and, it, and it's been both good and bad because they um a while back the governor wanted to start selling off uh state park lands or do cattle leases and oh. um, the big increase of visitorship to there kind of helped put that at bay um, good so and and last time i talked to alex he has all these plans about how he wants to improve it and try to strike that balance between teaching people about it and keeping it because it is it's a Kissimmee Prairie preserve state park and he wants to definitely keep that preserve part um right as the main focus yeah I may I've thought about reaching out to him or, or anybody who wanted to talk about Kissimmee Prairie just because it is a gorgeous park in the middle of the state but because the Florida Trail now goes through there I thought it would be a, a good segment so yeah, I will keep that in mind. <laughs> yes, I, he might be open to it too because he's talked about doing like artists and residencies and stuff. And oh, that would you know, be cool. He has, he has some big plans for there, and um, and on and he he loves the prairie, and he's probably the perfect person to manage it. Right. Well, okay. I guess maybe a little bit more about the Florida Trail. I guess from a day hiking perspective, do you have any like pros and cons or tips for anybody who would be approaching it 
as a day hiker? I don't, I don't think it has anything unique as to just other day hiking in Florida. Um, bring lots of water. I always freeze half, freeze half my water bottles the night before, before I go. Um, and it's, it's just, I, I definitely recommend anyone who's doing any hiking in Florida um, to try to learn a few of our, our unique plants or animals. And because there's not the, oh, we're going to get to the top of the mountain. We're going to have this cool vista. I definitely think as I go along, I'm definitely, I'm a very slow hiker. And I'm definitely kind of trying to look around and, and trying to notice stuff. Because um, you'll find also, I mean, even up along the Suwannee, you'll find orchids growing in trees and all sorts of just little plants and, and cool little animals. And definitely I'd, I'd recommend, um, I have, when, when I first moved to Florida, my grandfather got me the Audubon's Field Guide to Florida. Mm. Um, and I still have that and I still love it just because it has some of just the little cool little plants and I'm, I've always looked at me like, oh, I wonder if I can find this. And um, and there's a certain environment it likes and, and there's the floor trail will probably go through part of that environment. And so I kind of, when I go through there, I'll kind of know what to keep my eye out for and kind of um, what to look for and, and kind of know right. what that area is special. So knowing that you might not be in forever, for, in forever, <laughs> you might not be in Florida forever, do you have any places that you've got on your list that you really want to see, or do you want to go revisit a bunch of places? I know it's, it's, it's going to be hard because, so my wife doing a PhD program, chances are um, when she's done, we're going to, we're, we're going to have to go somewhere else for her uh, research. Um, and chances are it's somewhere cold because living in Florida, there's not too much further South of us that we can go. And I think just kind of going, doing more South Florida, just because that's some of the most unique parts. Um, the Everglades is something I definitely, I just recently went to the Everglades and, and did a little bit um, of Big Cypress too. And that's just somewhere that just, I, I, I could spend years there and, and not run out of stuff to do. And, and the Keys, and that's also stuff I don't know much about. Um, growing up in, in central Florida and now being in North Florida. Um, I've learned a lot of the, the trees and stuff around there, but like when I was down in the Everglades and I go into the tropical hardwood hammocks, just, I it, don't know any of the plants and it's a weird and kind of exciting feeling. Um, and it's just so, somewhere that I wish I, I had more time to explore. Yeah. I, even I feel like I don't know as much about South Florida and that's where I lived mostly because I was stuck in, big cypress and the northern everglades but it, a lot of the tropical hardwood stuff in the upper keys or in everglades national park like there's definitely things that i don't know and i feel i feel similar to you like i could spend so many years just trying to get to know it all and understanding the different ecosystems and still not have a grasp on it all yeah i, I remember i remember um the first time i did fagahatchee and i was going through some water and i just put my hand on a tree and i just kind of looked up and there were all these different epiphytes. And I was just like, man, I could I could spend a good couple hours here just trying to identify everything that's just on this one tree that I happened to place my hand on. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's kind of something that I, I try to stress when I talk to people about hiking in Florida. It's just like, you're going to see all these things that look otherworldly or, or like they're from another continent, but they're all right here. And they're all within just a couple miles of each other. Yeah. Have you been able to, do you have any friends in real life besides, you know, other hiker friends? Have you been able to convince any of them to go see some of these places? Most of the people that I, I end up convincing are people who come to visit the museum. Um, that's kind of the nature of, of my job. I'm, I work with the public. Um, and actually one thing I do for the museum um, has been, uh, I do tot trots, um, which is I got a guided 
nature hikes for toddlers. Um, and so I take these toddlers out and I ended up spending a lot of times with them. Um, Gainesville is kind of very transient with the university here. So I end up talking a lot with the parents and trying to tell them cool places. And, and just when I'm doing on the hikes, I'm showing all these cool bugs and stuff in Trenton. I've gotten a few people that will take out their phone and start jotting down some notes about, hey, I, I recommend, especially Kissimmee Prairie, I recommend. Um, most of the friends I know, though, I mean, my friends from high school are all friends I was in Boy Scouts with, and, and um, my friends now are a lot of people who already hike. So I've, at least in my tight bubble, there's not a whole lot of convincing I have to do to when I tell someone about a new place. Right, right. That's good. Uh, you mentioned the the tot trots. I think that kind of overlaps with with your own family life and how much you have gotten Cypress out into the natural world and how much he's really taken to that. Do you have any, I guess, guidance for people who want to kind of raise an outdoor family or how, what have you kind of learned along the way? The big thing that, that I've learned is just not to push it, especially now that, I mean, so I, uh, the first hike that I took Cypress on was in, when he was 11 days old. Um, and he had to spend some time in NICU. Otherwise I probably would have taken him sooner. Um, and I just took him to a short little trail and pushed him around in a stroller. And I moved on from there to just kind of putting him in, um, uh, we had a, a boba wrap is what I think mm -hmm. it's called. And I just, I don't know, I kind of kept up doing my little hikes. Um, I do little hikes after work, but I would just take him with me. And I think just that, that kind of setting that as the norm was a big thing and why right now he's just so willing to to go out. Um, but the big thing has been not to push it. Now that he's a toddler, I'll ask him, hey, do you want to go hiking? And sometimes he'll tell me no, and I'll get a little disappointed, but I don't want to, to make it a negative thing be like, no, we're going to go now. So sometimes he'll tell me no, and we won't go. And just, I've had to learn to take it even slower than I already was. I mean, and I was, I don't consider myself a quick hiker to begin with, but he got to a certain age and he was like, no, I'm going to walk. And now <laughs> yeah. it, I was out at Payne's Prairie and we did a three mile hike and it took me four hours because, yeah. um, <laughs> but it, you embrace those, those little moments every now and then he stops and he, he finds something and he wants to look at it. And, and we embrace that. Uh, right now I don't, any doing anything over five miles is hard because either he's going to want to walk a bunch of it or I'm going to have to carry him. And, and he's like 30 pounds now and he's heavier than my pack weight. And that's, yeah, it's been a, a bit of a struggle. The other thing, like after saying all that is also just don't, doubt their abilities either i mean even just with i when, when i talk to him about nature I, I use names and and he's two and a half now and there's a lot of bird calls he can hear and he knows what the bird is already or he can tell me what a tree is and so it's not just me taking him out in nature i try to just talk to him about it and about what we're looking at and what we're finding and i think that keeps him motivated when we're looking for stuff and so like we'll, we'll go to um a, a great trail here is the uh in, in um Gainesville is uh, Lachua and uh, it has a lot of birds. And so we'll get to the parking lot and we'll hear the limpkins. And he's like, oh, I hear limpkins. And then he's more willing to like, okay, we gotta go find this. Mm. Um, and uh, it's, it's other than that, it's been a, um, just having to watch over another person while you're hiking. Yeah. <laughs> um, my mosquito tolerance is a lot higher. And so every now and then I have to look at him and be like, okay, he, you're doing all right. And, but yeah, he's, I mean, We'll see. I, I We have the second kid coming in September and um, we'll see how that goes going with two kids. 
Yeah. And you may have six hour, three mile hikes oh. instead of four hours. <laughs> At least when they're little, I can just strap them to me and they fall asleep. Yeah, right? that's true. <laughs> um, but I don't, I, I've always, I don't want to kind of say, oh, my kid's going to be an outdoorsy kid. Cause the truth is they might not be into that, but I've always been big on like, I want my kid to have a respect for nature. Um, yeah. And I think that's kind of what's most important. And that's, that's my, my goal um, with us doing our outdoor time. Um, also camping, I've now solo camped with a toddler, which was a little bit of an adjustment, but I know he's done great. And it's been, and I think it's helped him in other areas of life too, because he's now used to being places that he's unfamiliar with. And, and I think that's helped us in, in more ways than just he can go hiking. Right. Well, it, it definitely helps like, because by the time he's five or six, he's going to be, I mean, you're going to have a three-year-old at that time too, but it's going to be a lot of it, a, a lot different. He's going to be more willing to be doing, you know, longer hikes and yes. more, ex not necessarily extreme, but some of the things you want to do as an adult that you can't do right now. Yeah. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping by the time that they're, let's see, when Cyprus is about eight and we have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, I'm hoping we can maybe do some short overnight backpacking trips Yeah. by then. Yeah, we took Forrest, I think he was two and a half on his first backpacking trip. And I was like, are we going to do this? <laughs> and I think he was, no, he was potty trained, but he still diapers at night, I think. So mm -hmm. we had to still like take some diapers with us. And it was definitely an adjustment. And But it, people make it happen. And I see people on Instagram with babies doing backpacking trips. And I'm like, well, y'all are way braver than I am. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> you know, I'm fine with the day hikes as a baby, but I, overnight. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's all doable. It's, it's definitely a matter of like, I think it's the adult's mindset more than the kids. Well, 100%. If, if you're, if, yeah. And I think it's just, if you're going in it and you're like, this is going to be okay. And you're reassuring. Um, I think you definitely get a kid to do do a lot more stuff than, than we give them credit for. Cause, and I know um, the other thing that I've been really big one is just like, I'm a bit more of the strict parent when it comes to need to listen to, to what I'm, if I'm asking you to do something. Um, and that's something I've just been really strict on because just when you're, when we're out somewhere and I, I've taken him kind of slogging through, through some places in Payne's Prairie. And it's just like, that's kind of my biggest fear is just like, Oh, he's going to get into something and he's not going to know to back away from it. So that's just, yeah as much as you can have that conversation with a two-year-old and like, Hey, if you want to do fun things, you need to be a good listener. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I mean, we have some alligators here, but not nearly, it's not Florida alligator, you know, system. So I think that's even more of an issue. And I've thought about that too. It's like, if we go to Florida and we want to go slogging through something that, that worries me more because he's perfect yeah. like size for an alligator. Yeah, that well, and, and that's what, um and Cypress loves alligators and he was running to look at them too. And it's like, Oh, oh child. But, and again, it just goes back to that. I need him to be able to, if I say, hey, you need to come here, be by my side right now, or, or hey, you need to go up and um, we have the, the the carriers and, hey, you need to ride up in the carrier for a while. I need him to know that it's for his own safety. Yeah. Um, earlier, you mentioned some books or the book the for the butterfly guy. Um, do you have any other books? You're reading all the time, I noticed, too. So. I, I cry. <laughs> I, I, since I backed it, since I've had, Cyprus, I've definitely made sure I'm not on my phone. And if I'm going to be doing something and just letting him play, I'll, I'd rather have a book in my hand than uh, in my phone. So, yeah. And I think a good one for, for people just getting into Florida would be the um, Audubon has a field guide to Florida. 
and it covers a lot of the basic trees and reptiles and bugs and birds and all, all that kind of stuff. And I wouldn't say it's a, it doesn't have a lot of the rare stuff, but it has the stuff you're probably going to see. And then the other book that I have is the Atlas of Florida's Natural Heritage. Hmm. I'm pretty sure it's a textbook. So it's probably like $120. <laughs> I, well, I think it's an old textbook. So now it's like 20. Okay. <laughs> but um, a friend of mine had that as his book in um, college and I remember reading it. And then I recently um, got it again and have enjoyed reading it. And um, it talks a lot about what ecosystems are unique to Florida, shows where they are and kind of what to find in them. And I think it's a great, I've, I've planned whole trips around what's in that book. Hmm. Um, and that book is actually what got me starting to go out to uh, Kissimmee Prairie in the first place. Hmm. Do you have any just more like nonfiction type reads besides like educational materials? So uh, Tales of Old Florida. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted to read that. that. That's a, it's a great book. It's, um, it's uh, a collection of old magazine and newspaper articles from Florida dating back to like the late 1800s. Mm. Um, so it's really fascinating to read that. And, and like, there's one about the adventure on the Oklahoma and they're like, yeah, we just shoot every bird we see. And, and mm. there's ones about, uh, on, on Sarasota about the, uh, people collecting sea turtles and just, you you went out at night and you flipped over every sea turtle you found and you went back in the morning with the truck and would load them up and Ugh. weird stuff that we look at it now and we're like, ah, oh, this is how we got where we are. Yeah. Um, and then there's some stuff in there um, that's kind of about people who are like, hey, we probably isn't great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is there, so say someone's listening to this and they know yeah, next to nothing about Florida, how would you sell Florida to them? I, I would sell that. I don't think there's any other trail you're going to see as much wildlife or um, as many uh, cool flowers on. I mean, just when I'm out at Kissimmee Prairie, I will scan the horizon and there's a dozen deer. There's a coyote over there. Give it a little bit. We'll see a burrowing owl. And just just this, the diversity. And it, it's it's more it's less about the destination of where you're hiking to and more about the hike itself. And it, it, it's one of those like you just need to pick up a book. It's, start looking through, find a couple cool flowers and be like, Hey, my, I'm going to try to find some of these while I'm out. And, uh, I don't know. I hope that sells them on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it's hard to express sometimes just like the cool things about Florida and you're like, you just have to go and see it. And I know not everybody who comes to Flor hike in Florida leaves like with it, you know, as their best hike ever. And I don't expect them to be, but I guess I just hope that they're a little open, more, more open-minded than so many of them are. I also think there's something where or I've tried to convince people to uh, just people who hike Florida um, to hike during summer. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because I know it, it is very hot and um, it definitely can eke into dangerous, but Florida during the summer, um, especially the, the, the wet season, the dry season transition just has so many flowers and there's places that there's um, sand hills or, or floodplains that you'll go to and uh, they'll be green and lush in the spring, but you go there during um, fall and there's just tons of color. Um, uh, the uh, blazing star or liatris bloom in the, in the mm -hmm. fall in places is just, you have uh, waist high, you're going waist high uh, in, in these huge purple flowers. Or, um, or around the St. John's, we get uh, the sunflowers start blooming and, and oh, yeah. you're in a field of sunflowers that are taller than you. And 
you got to get out in the heat and you got to get out early. But I think, I think that's some of my, my favorite Florida hiking. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Do you have a trail name? No, I, uh, if someone gives me one, I'll, I'll roll with it, but, uh, I'm not opposed to it, but I, I don't want to just assign myself one, I guess. Um, I like my name a lot. So yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm okay. And, and I mean, I kind of gave my kids trail names. <laughs> That's true. That is true. So, um, yeah, it'd be hard for them to come up with a trail name. They have such unique first names. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think you'll ever through hike the Florida trail or is that a even, or any long distance trail? Is that something you want to do? I don't think I'd ever through hike. Um, I, one of the things I really enjoy about the Florida trail is just doing out and backs. And I like, and even when I go car camping or I'm at Kissimmee Prairie, I'll do the same trail a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I mean, that's how you find some of the cool stuff is just you, you, Okay, I've seen this twice, and now I'm going to see what's out of place or see what I didn't notice before. And then the floor trail, I like doing the out and backs along the – because sometimes you'll – oh, I didn't notice this huge clump of orchids because it was on the other side of the tree. Um, right, right. And I don't think I would ever – Yeah. If, if I through hiked, it would take me, like, nine months to get through the floor trail. <laughs> well, you could have, like, the a dissertation on, like, the natural history of the floor trail or something. I, I, yeah, I mean, if I did, I'd be so interested in the because I, I always like the the transition of things um, and the transit transition as you're going um, from either I mean north south um, south to north, just the transition of ecosystems as you go up because people don't I mean people don't think about that, but just that the, the I mean the subtle what five feet of elevation change from Okeechobee to the Everglades I mean mm-hmm. results in, in a vast difference in the amount of plants you're going to find. Um, yeah. And just kind of, I'd follow that. And I've thought about it and I definitely considered it after college, but I ultimately came to, it's like, I'm going to be too slow. And I'd rather car camp somewhere and do 20 miles in a day than, than actually through hike. Right. Right. Well, you never know. Maybe, maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. We'll see if the kids are into it. I'll, I'll I'm down, but uh Yeah. Or if someone if, if someone needs someone to go along and maybe identify <laughs> some stuff, but right I'm on my own. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So maybe if you want to kind of wrap up any final thoughts about you know Florida and its natural history, where people can find you online. If you have any, I know you're gonna have your hands full for a while, but you have any any big goals that you want to do in the next few years? Uh, so I'm on Instagram. It's probably the the best place to follow me. Um, just at Keith Curry Pochi. Don't even have a fancy Instagram handle. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess in the next few years, my big plan is to try to get my my kids backpacking. Um, I do enjoy backpacking, but it's more like, again, I go out five miles, set up camp, then do 10 or more miles on a couple trails around there. And so that's kind of, like I guess, the big thing going through and just kind of um, because in the next few years, you might leave Florida, hopefully just kind of see the last couple corners. Um, and kind of get that so that way I don't feel like I I missed much. (laughs) Right. Well, even if you guys leave, do you think you'll come back eventually? Or is this like, you think it'll be permanent? It's hard to say with with, uh, her career field. Um, She's doing behavioral cognitive neuroscience. Hmm. So there's not a whole lot of places um, that we can jump to. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll always have family in Florida, and her family is always going to be in Florida, and I'm always going to want to come back to Florida. So um, right, that that 
might not be a permanent move back to Florida, but I'm probably going to make a, a, a yearly pilgrimage out of it. Right. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. And I, you know, I'm trying to figure out how I came across you. Maybe been through Madeline originally, but I'm always, I'm always liking to see what you, what you do. And I'll be excited to see how you get Sable into all of this. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for doing this. I'm, I'm glad there's a, a podcast and I've, I've really enjoyed listening to it on my way back from hiking while Cypress is napping. Good, good. I'm glad to hear. I always, always like to know if people like it. So. <laughs> <laughs>